I want to acknowledge in church this morning what you have long suspected about your parents. Namely, they are unfair. If you had uh, siblings growing up, if you had brothers and sisters, and if you were the oldest, you have probably muttered, I was never allowed to. You know, I would have been punished if I had ever. Yes, your, youngers and brother, your younger brothers and sisters have, in fact, gotten away with murder. They have. The rules, as your parents had more kids, changed, softened, like butter left out of the refrigerator on the counter on a warm summer day. Jenny grew up in Virginia with a surrogate aunt and uncle, and their oldest two kids were Greg and Krista. And Greg and Krista both wanted to go to the prom really, really bad. But their parents, coming from, I guess, a pseudo-holiness tradition, you know, if you were a good evangelical Christian, you didn't dance back then. I know. You didn't dance. <gasps> Gasp. Yes. And so they fought hard. They complained. They rallied. They lobbied. They slammed doors. They did everything they could to get their parents to relent and let them go to the prom. No. Christians do not dance. Well, six years later, guess what? Jenny and her cousin, John, went to the prom. And I remember family gatherings where Krista, I would listen to Krista say to my wife, you owe us. We paved the way for you to get to. You owe us. Okay? <laughs> So watch our kids while we go out on a date, you know, stuff like that, you know, okay? John Mark has uttered more than once, I can't believe you're letting Maddie, and it doesn't matter if the rules are easier or if the rules are harder, in every house, every kid breaks the rules, don't they? With me, it was my mouth in, in middle school. Um, it wasn't middle school back then, I know some of you are like, I'm a big shock of there, um, but, I, you know, if my mom could dish it out, I could dish it right back, you know. And that, uh, I actually know what soap tastes like. I will, I will tell you now in church, I can tell you what zest, the flavors, the, you know, the, you know it's just a little bit of this. And, yeah, I can tell you the whole thing because it was in my mouth. Um, I have a friend who puts it this way. You know, Max, rules are meant to be broken. Oh, you have that same friend. That is, like, so weird. <laughs> and I know this at middle age. At middle age, um, I go into restaurants now, and I've done this a couple of times with some of you from the church family that are younger, and I, it freaks you out the times I've done this. You go to the restaurant, and there's this sign. It says, please wait to be seated. And if it's like I'm hungry, and I'm at lunch, and the, and the host or hostess isn't there, I grab the menus, and I go sit down. I know, the, yeah, several of you all have this look, like, what? you can't do that. I'm like, that's a suggestion. <laughs> I'm hungry, you're a restaurant, let's work it out, okay? <laughs> and I've always been amazed, the two, you know, the, 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 you know the, those of you that I've done this with, you know, your eyes get really big, it's just fun. And, and yes, the hostess does look a bit miffed when she comes to the table, but we get served. Like no. Now, Congress... Your Congress has a ton of rules. 
Congress has a ton of rules. They have rules on how to pass laws. They have rules on how to confirm nominations, something they used to do. They have rules on how to conduct themselves. They, they have rules on how to conduct themselves. And on top of that, they take an oath. They take an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States. Here's the thing. There's not one rule, not one rule, law or procedure that has not been broken at least once. And it's no wonder that their approval rating in November of last year was 9%. Nine, <laughs> nine whoosh, televangelists can go, whoo! <laughs> you know, send in that money now because Congress is at 9%, okay? So we don't, here's the, we don't have to go to Washington, D.C., do we, to find rule breakers and, pr and promise breakers. We, we don't have to do that. Um, have you, you've made a promise, haven't you? That you made this promise and then you, you went back on your word. It's happened. And it, ha it happens to all of us. And, and it's just part of life. Um, I, we had these uh, two students at Wheaton. Their names were Scott and Carolyn. And the way Wheaton College worked in the 1980s is they didn't have rules about not drinking or dancing. They weren't rules. It was a pledge. So in getting admitted to Wheaton College, they sent you this long document that was a covenantal document. And Wheaties took the pledge or made the pledge. And it was basically, I promise that I will not drink. I will not dance. I will not have sex. I will, you know... And there were wills and will nots, and you signed at the bottom. And so when you got busted for something, it wasn't because you broke the rules. It's because you were a liar. Oh, oh. Wheaton knew how to do it big time, baby. Okay, so there, we had these two students, Scott and Carolyn. They were madly in love, and they read this weird book, something called like Severe Love or something. And they decided one night that they were going to get secretly married and run off together and not tell anyone. So they didn't tell their parents. They didn't tell anybody. And they got married, and they ran off to California. Well, his parents' BMW was found the next morning with the keys in it and the, the BMW still running in downtown Chicago. So everyone assumed, rightly so, they've been abducted. So the Chicago police were involved, and then like several weeks later, the FBI was involved. And I remember Mr. NBC Tom Brokaw, baby, talking about Wheaton College students <laughs> on the NBC Nightly News. And months later, they were discovered in California with new names, living a new and completely different life. And they had lied. They had lied. They had lied to everybody. They had lied to the... And so all of us at Wheaton, we kind of felt like sucker punched by what they had done. You know, they... Talk about pledge breaking. I mean, they did it like... It was like a nuclear bomb pledge breaking, you know. <laughs> um, in my janitor days, I worked with a guy named Mike. It's not the Mike that um, was at Rosenwald. It's a different Mike, younger Mike. And uh, Mike met this... Uh, uh, he was a stick guy. And he met another stick named Carolyn. So I was like, you guys are meant for each other. I mean, they were head over heels in love. And it was like, I love you. I love you more. I love you now. I love you. And, you know, to the point where you really, you know, are sick to your stomach, really. And so they did this thing. And then they got married. And, and they made, you know, I love, honor, and cherish. And, you know, and they were the cutest things. 
And wouldn't you know, nine months into it, like, he's at work one day, and he's like, you know, Mike, what's going on? You know, clearly something. And then when a grown man cries at work, you know it's bad. <laughs> I just want to say, if a grown man cries at work, not good things are happening. It could be like the alien apocalypse or something like that, but it's probably big. And sure enough, uh, uh, she was cheating on him with his cousin. Ugh. Like, of all the people, it had to be his, like, cousin. Ugh. And so he did this, you know, he, he, like, went back to her with, you know, the vows, and that was the last time they spoke. The only, the, for the rest of the time, they only spoke through lawyers, and they never talked to each other again. Just boom, broken, see? Broken rules and broken promises always translate into broken people. They're connected. And I know you, those of you that are older, you know this. You know this. And so if there's one thing I want to kind of put on your radar today, it's this. We, not somebody else, not your neighbor, not your sister who totally needs counseling, but we, we, we are broken people. We are broken people who need a Savior and a Redeemer. All right? God made a covenant 4,000 years ago with a guy named Abram, okay? Big deal. It's kind of like an arrangement. I'm going to, and then Abram, I'm, you know, I'm going to bless you so much that the entire earth, all the people of the earth are going to be blessed through you. It's going to be amazing. See those stars? It's like your descendants. What? I'm like 90 years old. How's that? You know, okay? And so that covenant takes another kind of churn, turn of the wheel on this mountaintop outside, uh, uh, outside, way outside Egypt called Mount Sinai, right? And so Moses, who's representing the Israelites, is kind of making a deal, making an arrangement, a covenant agreement with God. And there on the mountain, Moses is representing this people that had spent 400 years in slavery. And if you've seen Prince of Egypt, you know what plays out. They were in bondage, they get free, you know, free at last! I mean, and it's wonderful, and they're they're there. They're free. They're not slaves anymore. And this is what's, this is what's promised, all right? And it's, uh, I'm going to read this to you. Now, and this is God talking. Now, if you will obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples of the earth, for all the earth belongs to me. And you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation, this is the message you must give to the people of Israel. He's saying this to Moses. So Moses returned from the mountain and called together the elders of the people and told them everything the Lord had commanded them. And all the people responded together. Listen to what they say. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will do everything. You know how it plays out. <laughs> the Lord has commanded. So Moses brought the people's answer back to the Lord. This stuff... This, you know, I want you to, one, two, three, four, it gets written, literally carved in stone there on the mountaintop. And for the next, this, this was from Exodus 19. So Exodus 20 through Exodus 31 is, okay, here's how it's going to be. Here's what I want you to do. The very thing that the people of Israel said, yes, we will do everything that you've commanded, all right? And that's where we're going to pick it up today, Exodus chapter 32, verse 1. And 
Maybe they'll even throw it up there so you can see it. And we're going to look at, uh, for the first section, we're going to look at verses 1 through 8. So Exodus 32, 1 through 8. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what has happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and, and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. And then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, and molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf, and he announced, Tomorrow, tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings, and after this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. Then the Lord told Moses, Quick, go down the mountain. Your people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. How quickly they've turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They've melted down the gold and made a calf, and they bowed down and sacrificed it. They're saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The very people who had said, we will do every... This is just like 11 chapters ago. The same mountain. They haven't gone anywhere the same mountain they haven't moved on i mean we covered the fact it's the same mountain and so we will do everything the lord has commanded to okay we don't know what's happened to this moses guy you know we need to move forward and so the the gold that aaron takes tells them to to bring in so he can make this object are the rings that the egyptians gave them as they were leaving egypt um, through all the plagues and miraculous things that God did, the last thing he did was kill off the firstborn of every family. And that was like the breaking point. And everyone in Egypt was like, you got to get out of here. Go. And so it was basically plunder. Here, here's gold. Just leave. You know, we want to live to see another day. Get out of this country. You know, your God is too powerful for us. And so this was plunder. And so there, the, this gold in chapter 25 was supposed to be used for the tabernacle that would house the very presence of God that would go with them as they went into the promised land. And so now it's become this golden calf. I love the language of uh, 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 second person plural. I'm married, so I know how this works out. When one of the kids is not doing what they're supposed to do, Jenny will say to me, your daughter would not clean her room as I commanded her. <laughs> Do you see this second person plural? I know they don't teach grammar anymore, but second person is you. First person is I, we. Second person is you. Third person is we, they. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or he, she in the singular. Yep, you got it. Okay, good. They do still teach grammar. So, so parents, parents, so here's spiritual parenting right in the Bible. Now, it's probably not exactly that, but, you know, I mean, Moses, you, you're the peop your people, your people, look what your people did, and I commanded them to. Mm. You can kind of feel the fury. We're going to pick it up in verse 15 and go through uh, verses 15 through 24. 
All right, same chapter, chapter 32, verses 15 to, to 24. Then Moses turned and went down the mountain. He held in his hands the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant. They were inscribed on both sides, front and back. These tablets were God's work. The words on them were written by God himself. Isn't that amazing? When Joshua heard the boisterous noise of the people shouting below them, he exclaimed to Moses, that sounds like there's war in the camp. But Moses replied, no, no, it's not a shout of victory and the wailing of defeat. I hear the sound of a celebration. When they came near the camp, Moses saw the calf and the dancing, and he burned with anger. He threw the stone tablets to the ground, smashing them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf they had made and burned it, and he took, he ground it into powder, threw it into the water, and forced people to drink it. You think soap in your mouth is bad. Finally, he turned to Aaron and demanded, What did these people do to you to make you bring such terrible sin upon them? Don't get upset, my lord, Aaron replied. You know yourself how evil these people are. They said to me, make us gods that will lead us. I mean, we don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. And when they brought it to me, I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. (laughs) You have done similar things in your family and in your marriage. There at the foot of the mountain, the very stone tablets that the finger of God himself wrote on are smashed and shattered and they're just pieces at the bottom of the mountain now it's easy for us four thousand years later to sit here and judge the israelites and go man what were they thinking that is like so stupid i mean same mountain you didn't even go anywhere and you're going from like woo, you always great to you know okay let's follow the cow you know what is that what is that? But if, if we're honest, if we're honest, we wouldn't have acted any differently. We wouldn't have. We would not have acted any differently, and here's why. We break God's rules all the time. We do. I, I love the way Americans tend to talk about the Ten Commandments. It, it's the most wondrous thing to me as a pastor, because Americans will talk about the Ten Commandments as though, though it's this, like, weeding line for humanity. Oh, man, yeah, Ten Commandments. Whoa. And, you know, if you can hit most of them, if you can do most of them, oh, you are like holy. I kept the Ten Commandments. Fist bump. And then for the rest of the people that, you know, break most of the commandments, they're like the bad lot of humanity. They're the wicked people. And we make it this kind of like dividing light of humanity. But if you... If you read the Old Testament and the Pentateuch and and what God is saying through these Ten Commandments, it's it's not this dividing line of humanity between good and bad. It's, It's the base level line for being human. In other words, what God is saying through the Ten Commandments is, okay, I made you to be human. Don't devalue yourself. Don't devalue your humanity and devalue others. And here's Here's the base level thing for what it means to be human. It's, it's in essence, it's as if God is saying, hey, hey, that's her wife. 
could you like quit having sex with her? You know, that's that does she's not yours. She's not anybody's, but she's certainly not yours, okay? Or, you know, th- those are not your cows. Okay? I know it was in the middle of the night and it was like on your side, but they are not your cows. Get, put them back. Put them back. Could you hey, it's really could you not kill her, please? I'm you know, I made her. That took work and effort on my part. Could you not kill her? Thank you. I mean, but it's, it's, we, we think it's up here that it's like, oh, man, you know, I can, who can keep the Ten Commandments? But, you know, in God's economy, it's like, could you, like, be human like I made you to be human? And, and so, you know, it plays out. The, what, let's talk about a few of them. You know, uh, put the Lord your God first. That means God's first, God's center. Alec de Tocqueville came to America in, what, the 1800s, and he was like, man, you know, on Sunday, everything shuts down. I mean, these Americans, you know, they take God seriously. If, if he were to come to America today, would he conclude that God is the center of anything? Culturally, probably not. Honor your father and mother. Well, my mom thinks I'm studying, but I'm really... <laughs> right? False witness, false witness to lie about somebody or... Uh, another version of that is to snark about them on social media. <laughs> Man, you're not going to believe the blah, blah, blah pizza place. They're morons, I tell you, morons! <laughs> you know, okay? Don't steal. Another one, it's pretty, pretty simple. I can't tell you how many in Wheaton days, we'd be Christian businessmen that would literally cheat, not just, you know, take advantage of the tax code, but like cheat and lie. Well, you know, it's, everybody does it. No, that's stealing. Um... And, you know, adultery, let's not even get into that in our oversexed culture, right? You know, it's so we make it this thing, but really it's like, could you just be human like I made you to be human, right? So in, in light of that, let me ask some questions. What promises do you think are most frequently broken in the world today? What promises are most frequently broken? Which promise is most frequently broken by me. Remember, broken promises and broken rules make broken people. That's how it works. What does that mean, really, to be a broken person? My mom's grandmother was a lady... Grandma Rabino, right? Grandma Rabino came off the boat, first-generation immigrant from Italy. Grandma and Grandpa Rabino only spoke Italian, and as was the case with Catholic families of the time, they had like a gazillion kids. And later in life, they had a kid that they really didn't plan, really didn't want, and that was Paulina, my grandmother. And what Grandma Rabino did when Paulina was born was take Paulina and shove her off on Paulina's sister, Mary, to raise, who was already an adult and already married. And so Paulina grew up her whole life being raised by her sister, who didn't want her either, and became an adult. She married young, and she had one kid in her whole life. Unlike her, her mom, she only had one, my mom. And... When my mom was born, she had her for two years, and then when my mom was two, 
took my mother, Sherry, and took her off to the same sister and said, here, you raise her. And my mom was there from age 2 to age 16 when Paulina decided, all right, I'll let you back in my life. My mom grew up, got married, had two kids, me and my brother. Unlike her mother or her mother's mother, she didn't send us off anywhere. Now, I got to tell you, she was mad at the world. <laughs> and those Catholic nuns in that school, whew, if I had grown up Catholic and had that experience, I probably would have had some <laughs> ferocity to me too. And m despite how uh, ferocious my brother and I could be, mom never sent us away anywhere, and she stayed married. Weirdest thing. Weirdest thing. My family tree is full of broken people. Your family tree is probably full of broken people too. But God's doing something in my family tree. So here you have Italian immigrants kick off a kid. The daughter of that does the same thing, stops. I remember my dad saying to me once, Mark, you've got to be about the best dad I've ever seen. And I remember not believing him at all when he said that statement. But God's doing something in my family. And the reality is, I'm a broken man. I, you know, some of you are like, yeah, tell me about it. And some of you are like, really? No, it's just awesome. Okay, but I'm a broken man. I am not a hugger. It's just, you know, getting in touch with my emotions. I have to work really hard at that. That's like really hard for me. Hugging people is really hard for me. And isn't it, I find it more than coincidental that my middle daughter is like Bill Clinton. Everywhere I go, people who know my middle daughter, oh, I just love her. She just comes right up to me and gives me this big hug. And it's like warmth and love and sunshine and like everything that's good with the world. And I'm like, yeah, that's my daughter. She gets it naturally. <laughs> okay? Double. Oh, yeah, it's coming. I say that to say this, God and only God can take that which is broken and make it into something beautiful. Only God can do that. You can go to counseling your whole life. You can read 15 books. You can muster every ounce of behavioral modification that you can bring to the to, you know, to the front, but at the end of the day, God does amazing things because God as a Savior and Redeemer can take that which is broken and make it whole. And so today, I'm going to pray for you, but you've got a rock, you've got a stone, which today is kind of symbolic of the stone tablets that were broken in pieces at the foot of Mount Sinai. A broken set of rules, a broken people, and a broken relationship. It didn't stay broken, did it? God sent his son. God said, the day is coming when they, they're not going to be rules on tablets. They're going to be written on people's hearts. God can take what is broken and make it whole. So 
you can keep your rock if you want when I'm done praying, or you can get up out of your seat and as a kind of a decision for yourself and God, lay it down to say, I recognize today that it's not just my sister, it's not just my parents, it's not just my really wacky neighbor. I am a broken person who needs a Savior and a Redeemer. And that's a great way to get ready for Easter. Easter.